Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. It's good to all be back together this morning, isn't it? Our team returned this week from Aguas Calientes. Your pastors have returned from the resurrection plot purchased for Pastor Mario Salinas. We are really living in busy and amazing times, aren't we? This makes the series Mature Manhood all the more important. For the next hour or so, we're going to ask you to unplug from the tidal wave of Fox News and the disturbing things that are going on in our nation. It's time to focus on the changes that must take place in us. I don't remember. What's the name of this church again? Life-Changing Ministries. Yeah, and it may always be life-changing ministries. This process never stops. It's been a blessing to hear the messages that have come from your pastors lately. This house is truly blessed with an abundance that flows from a river of delights that proceeds directly from the throne of God. Just like Psalm 36, 8 says, they feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. Last week's message was titled, The Making of a Priest. I can't think of a more important subject for these turbulent times. In that message, our pastors walked us through three important steps to take they were all taken from Deuteronomy 33 8 through 10 I'd like to show that slide if you don't mind when you look at these to start with when we receive divine discernment I love the way that your pastors they displayed this biblical picture in a in an amazing fashion biblical priests are not monks okay no. They don't dress in faggoty little clerical collars, and they don't hide in solitude. Biblical priests are actually a beautiful combination of cowboys, yes. butchers, doctors, yeah. environmental scientists, construction workers, lawyers, judges, law enforcement, and scholars. That's how the priests are described in the Bible. They wrangled the animal at the altar. They cut it into pieces with precision. They rendered discernment for you and your family. They actually were men. Yeah. Yeah. See, all real priests are men. They don't have to go into solitude to hide to receive divine discernment. Instead, they bear the means of making divine decisions right over their hearts at all times. Amen. You may remember that Deuteronomy 33.8 said you're... Thumim and Urim belong to the man that you favored. This is because God favors his priest by giving them two tools. Somebody say two. Two. Working as one unit to make divine decisions. Since I know that not everybody is completely familiar with Thumim and Urim, Urim I want you to know that they're two objects that were in the priesthood's possession at all times. A lot of speculation surrounds their exact appearance. Some people have tried to make it like a crazy eight ball. Should I go to Tippy and get my hair cut or should I go and risk it at Supercuts? <laughs> Some people have tried to make them like a black and white stone. Like if you love me, then maybe circle the white stone. If you don't love me, circle the black stone. Whatever their physical appearance was. Their operation can be understood from the Hebrew definition of the words and also 
the way that it appears in the LXX, the Greek translation of the Bible. There are seven times that the Thummim and Urim are mentioned in the scripture. Most of the time, it's actually the other way around, Urim and Thummim. But sometimes it's in this order. I'm going to summarize these for you because we didn't get to do it in a message. This is our next slide. These are the seven mentions summarized. The Hebrew word for Thummim literally has to do with complete integrity. Then when it's translated into Greek, they had to pick a Greek word to describe the Thummim. It's truth. Other places, it's perfectness. Other times, it's perfections. Yeah, Urim is a Hebrew word that literally means fire or fires. In the Greek, it is translated as the manifestation. <laughs> or in the plural, manifestations. Or simply lights. I think you can glean from looking at that that these enigmatic objects are at least conceptually linked to the idea of the word and the spirit. So when we speak of Thummim and Urim, you should be thinking of being led by the word and the spirit. LCM, this is how priests operate in divine discernment. You can know that you already have the means of making divine decisions in your marriages. You already have the means of making divine discernment readily available in your parenting. You already have the means of making God's decisions in your ministry to the rest of humanity. Somebody say that's good news. That's good, good news. news. It's important that you know that because their second point had to do with being tested through tension. It was the second thing that you learned in the message, the making of a priest. Your divine discernment, it'll always be tested through tension. I thought that the pastors did a masterful job of exploring all available manuscripts. I, I know that you guys, in your free time, spend all of your time poring over such things as the Textus Receptus, or the Codex Sinaiticus, or the all-too-important Codex Leningradiensia. Yeah, that's... No, you don't do that? Well, it's good that you have pastors that do, because they illustrated to us a profound revelation it came from the LXX, and we want to put it on a slide for you just to remind you of pronouns interpreted in this passage. And to Levi, he said, give to Levi his manifestations, Thummim, and his, I'm sorry, Urim, and his truth, Thummim, to the man sacred, whom they, meaning the Israelites, tested him, meaning the Levites, in trial. They, the Israelites, reviled him, the Levites, at the water of dispute. What this revealed to us is that all real priests have the means to operate in divine discernment through the word and the spirit. And all priests should expect this discernment to be tested or vetted or proven through tension. Yes. This tension usually comes from members of your own household. True. Thank you, honey. <laughs> and when it's not your own household, it's your extended family. I'd say thank you to my relatives, but they no longer listen online. <laughs> Tested through tension can come through your friends. The point is, is that when you've received divine discernment, you should know that it's going to be tested, but that actually serves to affirm whether or not it has or has not come from God. Yes. 
if it truly is divine discernment, it can and it will stand the test. So no man of God should ever be insecure about what he said he heard from God. If you feel the need to stomp your feet and clench your fist, you probably did not hear from God. In this house, we will no longer suffer from low test tolerance. That is true. Good word. If you need an injection, get one right now. (laughs) Lastly, our pastors shared with us from Deuteronomy 33, 9, from the phrase, he said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. I'm going to be honest, that's not my mama's favorite passage. But the pastors rightly illustrated that all priests must judge without partiality. So priests do not have differing standards. There's not one for everybody else's children and one for your own. There's not one for other people's parents and one for your own. There's not one for the people that are close to you and your little clique and one for those that are just outside and not as close to you. As priests, our discernment comes from the word and the spirit. If it really is God, it stands the test of tension. Ultimately, there is only one standard that we as priests apply, and this is universally to all men without showing either favoritism to those you like or partiality to those you think can't handle it. I hope that the message blessed you as much as it did me. You know, I was listening to it on the way back from Mexico after burying my friend. I think it's good that we're reminded of these truths as often as we're in the tent of a body. In fact, I know that I needed to be reminded of this. Shoveling dirt over your friend and waiting to receive him again at the coming of Christ reminds us there's one standard for all men. Your lives are going to be summed up with either he did or did not do the things that the Lord called him to do. That's how they're going to be summed up. And I want to live them well. Amen. Well, saints, that was the making of a priest. Do you want to go further today? I do. Today, we want to further develop this priesthood in this house through today's message titled, The Mark of a Priest. The Mark of a Priest. Mark. So let's turn to Deuteronomy 33, and we'll pick up with verse 8. As we're turning, won't everybody just shout out, The Mark of a Priest. The Mark of a Priest. Oh, y'all did good with that. We're no longer going to wait for everybody to get to a verse before we respond. Because we realize that some of you are on electronic version. Some of you have a six-speed transmission for your Bible. Some only three gears. (laughs) And we want us to be in unity. So now we're going to call out our responses while we're turning. Which means that I personally no longer have to be humiliated when I'm sitting there fumbling (laughs) for my glasses trying to remember where the book of Hebrew is. And Annie beats us all anyway. Annie does. She, She wins. All right, let me put my glasses on. Hold on. Okay. I think those are handsome, Pastor. My wife loves them. Oh. Don't you, baby? It's because we talked about her dirty librarian glasses for years. (laughs) Oh, cinnamon. So, Deuteronomy 33, verse 8. About Levi, he said, Your Thummim and Urim belong to the man you favored. You tested him at Massa. You contended with him at the waters of Meribah. He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children. But he watched 
over your word and guarded your covenant. He teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. He offers incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. We have covered the three points in the making of a priest. Now we want to show you our fourth point that identifies the mark of a priest. Let's show that next slide. You'll see in this, in this slide, point number four is watches over his word. I want you to notice something, though. Notice this does not say that he only reads his word. Look, if this were a Baptist youth camp meeting, characterized by immature manhood, like I grew up, like we all grew up in, all you would be expected to glean from this is read the word. But honestly, you walked in here already knowing that you should do that. That's true. And we want to grow into mature manhood. Isn't that right? Yeah. We want you to grow into engaging the word, into being personally challenged by the word, developing new convictions from the word, and ultimately new actions that mark you as a priest. Come on, since this passage is talking about far more than just reading the word, we got to understand what it is saying. It is saying to the word. It is saying, I'm going to say it again because it was that important. It is saying to Shamar the word of God. Shazam! Not Shazam, but Shamar. Oh. Take a look at this slide. Bim got me the other I night. I know, That's he got happened. me on that one. Look, the word Shamar, some of you are very familiar and others aren't. So we want to show it to you so that all of us are moving forward in what God is telling us this morning. The verb Shamar means to watch. It means to keep, to preserve, to actually guard and to watch over something that God is assigning to you. See, when Moses is saying to watch over his word. He is saying that the Levites must be constantly watching over the practice of the word. They've got to be keeping to the principles of the word. They've got to be preserving his word through their own daily repentance. They've got to be guarding the word to ensure that others are following the exact prescription of the word itself. These activities, church, are the beginnings of the mark of a priest. Everybody say mark of a priest. Mark, mark of, of a priest. priest. Speaking of the mark of a priest, let's turn together to Genesis chapter 17. And as you're turning, let's say mark of the priest. Mark of a priest. In Genesis 17 and verse 9, it says this. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. How about that? Come on now. Y'all ready for this? Hey, Eric. Eric Stevens, yes. stand and present yourself to the crowd. <laughs> okay, envision this. Envision this, that Eric has a flint rock knife in his right hand. Oh, there it is. And he is required to circumcise himself because the word of God demands it. to circumcise himself 
because God demands it. How carefully do you think that Eric would watch over this process? I mean, how carefully, how would he do in keeping the exact prescription of what God is saying? Do you think that Eric would guard it carefully, church? Now, he had to be circumcised, but he also had to have every male inside of his household circumcised. So, uh, Eric, you need to grab Judah. Uh, you need to grab Cody, Gabriel. Actually, while you're at it, let's grab Titus and Benaiah and, and Yoshev. But, but that's not enough yet either. That's not enough yet either. Because you have to get everybody that lives in the household that's attached to your family. Where's Peyton Parsons? Peyton, yep. stand up. Let's get Barzillai. Let's get Bezalel. Uh, Nick, Eregina, stand up. Get Ezra to stand up. This is what you just read in Genesis 17. See, Abraham is the beginning. Somebody say beginning. Beginning. He's the beginning of the priestly nation. And what the word of God said must be done in him first. He then helps others to do exactly the same. Hey, I got some good news for you, Eric. Hey, I got some good news for the whole Stevens regiment here. This is not the whittling down of your manhood. No. This is the maturing of your manhood. Yeah. You now bear the mark yeah. of a priest. This is the initial, the beginning, the primary, the inaugural mark. And there will be many, many, many other marks that you must receive. Yeah. Remember, church, the word of God demands that the priestly nation bears this kind of mark. The book of Jeremiah makes the same application that we're making right now. In the fourth chapter, Jeremiah literally says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts. And in the ninth chapter, he says, I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. If you'll turn to Colossians 2.11, I want you to see in Colossians that Paul picks up on that line of thought when he's speaking to us. Colossians 2.11, in him... You were, circumcised, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Oh, no, you missed an amen opportunity right there. Your whole self-ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Hey, Matthew, yeah. present yourself. Presenting? Where is your flint rock, Matthew? Hey, while, while y'all are all staring at Matthew, let me just say, church, where's your flint rock knife? Well, I'll give you a hint. It's sitting in your lap right now. While it's very close to the appendage that marked Abraham, it's very far from God's full intention. God was aiming at more. Yeah. Matt, where's your flint rock knife? It's right here. It's my Bible. And what you must do with it is far more invasive than uh, marking a cucumber. That's true. You must go further. You have to bear the piercing marks of the word of God on your heart. Amen. 
This is what mature manhood looks like. It's the beginning of a priest. We wish that it could just be a surgical operation that you don't remember when you were born. It is actually the marking of the word of God on your heart. Where, church, did he say it's a marking at? This is the beginning of the mark of a priest. Look, pastor, it's true. I must go further and bear the mark of the piercing word of God. Most would see this as a, uh, as a mutilation. That's not how I see it, though. I see it as my sanctification. I must, I have, and I will continue to let the word of God pierce my heart and establish the mark of a priest inside of me. Amen. While the whole world is concerned about vaccines and the mark of the beast, the only thing I'm concerned about is with the bearing the mark of a priest. Amen. Amen. Bearing the mark of a priest on my heart, that is. In fact, Paul speaks of this in Galatians. So turn with me to Galatians 6, 17. And as you're turning, say the mark of a priest. The mark of a priest. Galatians 6, 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Wow. Paul was discussing the difference between simply complying with the command physically and actually shamaring or watching over the commands with spiritual intention to make full application when he says this in the book of Galatians. The mark of a priest was upon Paul because of the deep cuts that the word of God made to his own heart as he shamared or watched over it. But you know what this did for him? This qualified him. It qualified him to correct others who were only going through the rote application of the words on the page versus spiritual application of them. Are you guys getting that? This is the difference between reading the word and shamaring or watching over the word. So let me help you walk through this. The word first marks you. Then your household, then all that you come in contact with, but it must first leave a mark on you. Who does it start with church? Me. And then that can move outward, but it must start with you in the most personal and intimate of ways. Yeah. Church, are you getting the fact that hearing this isn't just enough? That watching over the word is so much more than just hearing, than just reading. Now, we want to help you to understand this better because we want everybody. This is such an important topic. We need everybody to get this. Help us, Pastor. So I'm going to go. I'm going to take the clock back just a little bit. And some of you may have heard about uh, something that happened in the 2000s called the Blue Collar Comedy Tour. Oh, yeah, man. Joe seems confused right now. Yeah, that's... (laughs) Well, I'll help you, Joe. It's all right. See, there was a man by the name of Jeff... Foxworthy, and he had some aids in helping you to identify if you are a redneck. Because shockingly, although we can all point out a redneck, many of you who many who are rednecks uh, don't know it. So it goes something like this: This was the test that was prescribed. If you have to go out to your front porch. 
to get to your refrigerator, you might be a redneck. True. Which I actually bear witness to that in my own life. If you've ever had to climb a water tower with a bucket of paint just to defend your little sister's honor, you might be a redneck. Oh, wait, Pastor, I mean to be clear, it was my older sister. <laughs> <laughs> if the width of your back tires exceed the width of the front tires by more than twice, you might be a redneck. Guilty, that was my first car, 1984 Toyota Tercel. <laughs> if your idea of a two-tone paint job is Bondo and Rust, then you might be a redneck. That includes you, Linton. <laughs> <laughs> See, much like redneck jokes, every Christian can point out hypocrisy in other people, but often fail to recognize it in their own hearts. True. Come on, somebody said that's true. So we're going to help you with this process too. When you read the word of God, if your first thought is about someone else's application rather than your own, you might have a problem watching over God's word. Come on. Yeah. That's good. If you expect more of your wife, your children, your neighbors, the other men and brothers in this room, then you are personally demonstrating in your own actions you might have a problem watching over God's word if you love to dive into the depths of eschatology but fail on the most fundamental application in your own life. You might have a problem watching over God's word. Come on. See, church, we are priests. Yeah. And this is not our first day on the job. We pulled these examples from our own lives and the mark that the surgical correction of God's word left on us. Watching over these kinds of areas in our own lives and applying the word of God is the mark that we are in fact priests. So let us ask you today, LCM, do you bear the mark of Christ's surgical correction in these very areas in your life? If you want to mature in your manhood and want to bear the mark of a priest, it can only be done one way. Amen. Would you like to learn about that? The writer of Hebrews well, he understood this process, probably because he was reflecting on the book of Shofatim or the book of Judges. Specifically, the writer of Hebrews is thinking about Judges 3 when he writes these following words. They're going to be from Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 12. For the word of God is alive yeah. and active, yeah. sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. See, churches, your pastors, we know where these areas in your lives are. We're not really asking you if they are issues. We know that they are issues for you. We're also working through the same things. Yeah. But the word of God is alive and active in us. Yeah. Yeah. The sharp double-edged sword is penetrating right down to the soul, spirit, joints, marrow, even the thoughts and the attitude of our own hearts. We're watching carefully over God's word to ensure that the surgical marks of Christ, I mean the marks of a priesthood, 
are present in us through right application of the word. Understand something. No priest drops down out of heaven perfect and complete. Even Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. They're matured. They're matured as the word of God drives the Eglon out of the kingdom. And the only judge that is left remaining is like the left-handed Ehud who stands with the double-edged sword in his hand. And he himself has been marked by it first. These are the marks of a priest. Do you wish to bear that mark? Yes. Do you wish to bear that mark? You're going to need to remember that you said that as we move forward in this message. You wish to be marked by the word of God. Not just rubbed, not just massaged, not just entertained, but bear the mark, the scar of a surgical removal of what doesn't belong on your heart. Do you really wish that? Amen. Amen. Look. Now that you hold in one hand a biblical truth that you will wrestle with regarding the ways you must bear this mark of a priest, let us put in the other hand something additional. It's time to introduce the next item that will challenge you in your development. So let's turn back to Deuteronomy 33.8. And as you're turning, say the mark of a priest. The mark of a priest. About Levi, he said, your Thummim and Urim belong to the man you favored. You tested him at Massa. You contended with him at the waters of Meribah. He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children. But he watched over your word and... And... Everybody say and. And... Guarded your covenant. Let's put up this next slide we have here. This introduces our fifth point, but what we circled in red is the mark of a priest is that he watches over his word and, everybody say and, and guards his covenant. It is the mark of a priest to watch over his word. You should grab hold of this firmly. Think of it as being truth in your left hand right now. Everybody hold up your left hand. It is also the mark of a priest to guard his covenant. In our remaining time, you will come to grips with the reality of this truth, and it must be in your right hand. Now hold up your right hand. They work in conjunction with each other and are never independent of one another. Come on, thank you. You can put your hands down as we turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to be picking up in the middle of the Davidic covenant. David has received the word of God. He is holding it in his hand. And let's look at what David says in response to the word that he's received. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 21 says this. For the sake of your word and, everybody say and. And. According to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. The word of God is truth and watching over it profoundly marks your life. This is something that we hold in one hand. In the other hand is the phrase, according to your will. See, once we know what God's word says about a given subject, we have to then know his will in carrying it out. 
Priests not only have to know the word of God, but they must know the will of God in carrying it out. We're going to keep going on this, but most of us put those two ideas as a singular concept. And we're trying to show you that there is an and involved in this today. See, even Jesus, he expresses this concept when he teaches a nation destined to be priests to pray. Let me read it to you from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now consider this just for a moment. A very, very familiar passage. But Jesus is the living, breathing word of God. He is here standing on the earth in this moment. And what's happened is he is praying for the will of God to be done on earth. The word of God and the will of God. See, after reflection, a priest may properly determine what the word says, but he must also know how God wants him to carry out God's will on this earth. You may not realize it yet, but there's a relationship between watching over the word and guarding his covenant. Let's look at how his covenant is referred to in your Bibles. So we're going to be turning to Romans 15. Uh, in Romans 15, we're going to have an idea challenged. See, for a couple millennia now, the preaching that has been most prevalent has caused us to review to view the word covenant in an overly legalized fashion. We tend to see a covenant kind of like a bloody contract, but it really has more, more to do with God's expression of his intention, his will, his, his promise. In Romans 15, 8, you can kind of start to glean that. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews, or nation of Israel. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of Israel on behalf of God's truth. What's his truth, church? His word. Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, his word. So that the promises, or covenants made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. See, God's covenants are first and foremost promises. They're an expression of his will for the recipients. The next time you're contemplating Genesis 15, it's not primarily a story about a legal contract. It's an expression of God's will or his promise, his intention for Abraham and his descendants. See, we need to know and apply God's word that's true. And we must be priests guarding what God has covenanted or promised. His word and his will must both properly be grasped to act as a priest on his behalf. Look, in one hand, we're armed with the application of God's word. Usually that's very personal. And in the other hand, we're armed with the knowledge of his will or covenants or promises that express what he wants to achieve through that word. Let's turn to Ephesians 2 to see this further. We're going to pick up in verse 11. If you're struggling to grasp this just a little bit, I promise we're going to help you with some very real examples. But right now, we want to lay the foundation in the word for you. Amen. Ephesians 2.11. Therefore, remember... That formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, 
which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Look, it's crazy to think that we were once completely without God's word. Isn't that amazing? It's even more sobering to realize that we were excluded from the covenants of promise that express God's will. As soon as the sword of his word began to circumcise our hearts, the quest began to guard his covenant promises that express his will. Look, I've spent years bearing the marks of Christ through his word, piercing my heart in regard to my own actions. And that process will never stop. Amen. Amen. And now my days are beginning to be marked by understanding what he wants to accomplish on earth. Let's see how the word of God continues this thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 20. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. It says this. For no matter how many promises... No matter how many promises or covenants God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Consider what this familiar verse really, really says in context of what we're saying today. His covenants, his covenants, his promises, they are yes in Christ. They are yes in the word itself. And somebody say and. And. Through him. Through the word, the amen, the so be it is spoken by us. See, to watch over his word and guard his covenant allows us to bring glory to God. We are not only to know and apply the word of God in our own lives, we are to accomplish and guard his covenant, guard his will, guard his promises here on the earth. Amen. Would you like to see some examples of this in the Bible? If you think about where the sermon began, it's really a perfect illustration of the need to watch over his word on the one hand and guard his covenant on the other. See, we began by speaking of Abraham and the word of God that commanded that he in his household, even foreigners in his house, must be physically circumcised. Did you know that the were men in the first century who were diligently watching over the word and they had to make a serious decision about this. The word says something specifically. Let's pick up in Acts 15 beginning in verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now pause there for a second. If you engage with this text and you forget that you have all of the epistles, if you forget that you have the book of Colossians, what would you think after you had read Genesis 17? Genesis 17 says this must be done. It wasn't actually given through Moses. It was given through Abraham and reinstated through Moses. Right. So what would, if you were watching over the word, what conclusion would you come to? Verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. 
So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Do you know why? Because it's a legitimate question. It wasn't solved for them. You've almost never had to consider this kind of question. But as we grow in our priesthood, you'll face it many times. Notice that not only is it a serious question, who it is that is settling it. They're men who are watching over the word carefully. Amen. Okay? They're going to have to uh, wrap both hands around this question. They're going to have to guard the intention of his covenant as well as watch over his word. In Acts 15 and verse 6, the apostles and elders met to consider this question after much discussion. Yeah. Much discussion. It's not like they're just deciding where to go eat lunch. This was not an easy decision to make. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice. Who made the choice? God. Among you, that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified or circumcised their hearts by faith. See, in Acts 15, they all took note of the written command, but they also understood and guarded the intention of God's covenant. They determined that his word says to be circumcised and, say and, and, that the intention of the covenant was to be circumcised in the heart by the Spirit. It's hard to overstate the difficulty of this task for the early church. The conclusion that the whole council of scripture helped them to come to, and remember they're writing the council of scripture at this yeah. point, are that both concepts are fulfilled inside of Christ. We are in Messiah who is physically circumcised, and we guard the intention of his covenant promises or will by being circumcised in our own hearts. Yeah. Now, how many times do you personally read a passage, pour over a passage, contemplate a passage, agonize over what his word says? I mean, that is important, isn't it? When it begins to pierce your own heart, leaving the kind of surgical mark of Christ of what you should do, this starts to put you in a better position to know his will or guard his covenant promises regarding how it's accomplished on earth. These things have to be held in each hand working as a single unit. Church, in every decision, we must consider a left hand and a right hand approach in determining how to represent God as a priest. You're his ambassador. In other words, we have to both watch over his word and guard the intention of his covenant. Look, this concept is pervasive in God's word. Let me read to you Exodus 4, verse 15. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. So look, watching over his word is having it in your mouth, marking your heart. This is done through the means of personal application. Guarding the covenant is being taught what to actually do, carrying out the intentions and the very will of God. 
Come on, everybody's going to want to turn to Isaiah 55. And as you're turning to Isaiah 55, everyone say, the mark of a priest. The mark of a priest. Isaiah 55, and we're going to take a look at verse 11. It says this, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose, the will for which I sent it. See, watching over his word in this verse, that's the word that's proceeding from his mouth. This marks you as a priest. Guarding the covenant. That's the purpose for which the word came. And this, this also marks you as a priest. Are you beginning to wrap your mind around it? All right, well, let's, let's take another difficult one like Acts 15. Since you're already in Isaiah, go ahead and flip to Isaiah 53. This is something that everybody loves because it's already been interpreted for you. But uh, if it had not been, if you were engaging it for the first time, consider Isaiah 53, 8. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. As you engage with this for a minute, imagine that you have been watching carefully over the word. And that that helped you come to an understanding that the Christ would have to suffer. Everybody following that so far? Then it pierces your heart and it marks you. Because as you begin to apply it, you begin thinking, well... If I'm going to represent the kingdom of God, I also have to suffer and have a mark on my heart. You got that so far? That's one hand. But would you have ever understood the purpose or why we're guarding the covenant ordained for these events? Look at verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin... He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now, if you think you understand this already, you're you're not listening carefully enough. I want you to get this. You're pouring over the word. You're watching over it. It's making a a mark on you. You're like, as a servant of God, I, I must bear the mark. I must suffer. I see it in the word. Even the Christ will suffer. But would you have understood what God was accomplishing through this passage prior to the cross? Let me tell you that you wouldn't have because the men who were standing at the cross did not understand what God was accomplishing through the cross. They had guarded the word. They had watched over the word. But they did not understand what God was accomplishing through his covenant on the earth initially. You know how you know they're a good priest? They quickly picked it up. They began to pick it up and they began to preach and teach not only about the letter of what was written, not only about personal application, but also about what God would accomplish through the very word that had been preached on the earth. This is what it means to guard the covenant. On the one hand, you must know and apply the word to your own heart, leaving the mark of a priest. On the other hand, you must guard the covenant or purpose that God is aiming at. This is another mark of the priest. Left hand is what has God said. Right hand is what does he want to accomplish with what he has said. Jesus knew what was written. 
I mean, did anybody ever watch over the word quite like Jesus? When he stared in a mirror, he was staring at the word. Nobody ever did as good a job as Jesus did. And yet, do you remember that in Matthew 26, he had to guard the covenant? What are you talking about, Eric? Well, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he has to pray. Not my will, but may your will be done. Is that because the word had not pierced his heart? No, it's because in that moment, it was difficult, and he had to guard what God wanted to accomplish through the word. And his action makes a big difference. Jesus knew what the Father said, and Jesus knew what the Father wanted to accomplish through what he said. Look, I could, I could watch over the book of Revelation. I could personally be, personally be marked by each of the passages that are found in it. That is important and is a mark of the, of the priests. But I want you to look at something. Everybody turn with me to Revelation chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 7. Say the mark of a priest as you're turning. Mark of a priest. Revelation 10, 7. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished. Just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Look, guarding the covenant has everything to do with the mystery of God being accomplished. Knowing his ultimate aim, his ultimate purpose and promise is every bit as important as watching over his word. These things are like weapons. Weapons in our left and in our right hands. And a priest must be marked by both. Come on, let us show you one last slide. We'll put this on the screen for you to watch over his word and somebody say and and, and guard the covenant is seen clearly in Colossians 1 and verse 9. We've put it on the screen for you. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance Amen. and patience. Yes. And joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Church, you can see both of these components here. You can see that guarding the covenant is the first highlighted part to knowledge, to have an increasing knowledge of his will. Then you see that the watching over the word is actually the knowledge of God. You are seeing both the left hand and the right hand yes. here again as Paul is speaking to the church in Colossae. So church, these things require us to uh, mature in our manhood. They require us to bear the marks of a priest. The number of difficulties that arise when, when we start to do this, when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, there are many. Yeah. Wrestling with truths without compromising what the word says and staying on target with what God wants to accomplish on the earth, well, it's intended to be a maturing process. That process only intensifies as you venture out to try to help others work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah. 
as priests, this whole process starts with us. And then we get a chance to help others do it. Yeah. So look, let's give you seven general ones just to get you thinking about it. These are some scenarios that will help you start to understand what it means to watch over his word and to guard his covenant. We may watch over his word in 1 Corinthians 11 that says, the man is the head of the woman, but we fail to guard his covenant expressed in Mark 10, 45, that says, even the Christ came to serve. Nobody's ever felt tension between those two things, huh? See, church, we may watch over his word in Proverbs 13, 24, that says to fail to discipline your child is to hate them. But how many times have I failed to guard his covenant expressed in Hebrews 12, 10, that says that we may, that we discipline for the purpose of sharing in his holiness. Are you feeling that tension yet? See, we may watch over his word. In fact, this is one of my favorite ones. Proverbs 27, 5 says open rebuke is better than hidden love. You surprised that I love that verse? But how often have I failed to guard his covenant expressed in 2 Corinthians 10, 8 that says you are to use your authority to build others up and not tear them down. Wow. Is that starting to hit your heart? Look, this next one may be your favorite verse like it is mine. We may watch over his word in 1 Corinthians 2.15 that says, The man with the spirit is not subject to any man's judgment. But I fail to guard his covenant expressed in John 17.23 that says we are to be brought to complete unity in the faith. Yeah. See, we may watch over his word in 1 Corinthians 5.11 that says, Do not even eat with a man that calls himself a brother and is sexually immoral. But how many times have I failed to guard his covenant expressed in Jude 23 that says we're to snatch our brothers from the fire? Wow. So we may watch over his word in 2 Corinthians 6.17 that says, come out from among them and be separate. But have often failed to guard his covenant expressed in 1 Timothy 2.4 that says he desires that all men be saved. We may watch over his word in 1 Corinthians 9, 22. It says, be all things to all men, but fail to guard his covenant expressed in Romans 12, 2. That says, do not be conformed any longer to the image of the world, but be transformed. Now, we know, brothers, dearly loved by God, that none of these things are present in this house or with you. We're simply talking about the Christian world in general. Yeah. yeah. But since you desire to bear the marks. You said you wanted them. <laughs> you, uh, you said you wanted to be marked. Did you think it's a pleasant process? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's pieces of your hearts everywhere. Do you want to bear the marks? Well, since you said that and your desire is to bear the marks of Christ, let's discuss the things that we know for certain are present in your lives so that we can bring the men in this room to a level of maturity, bearing yes. the mark of a priest. Amen. Are you ready for some circumcision of the heart? Yes. How often do you read what is written about how you are to relate to your spouse? 
And yet you show no comprehension in your action of what God actually wants to accomplish through the covenant with your spouse, namely becoming one. Wow. Look, how often do you read? But as many are led by the Spirit are sons of God, but have no comprehension of what God wants to accomplish through you in conjunction with the other sons of God. Other sons in this house. You understand you're led by the Spirit, but do you guard the covenant by knowing how you are to work with the other brothers in this house? Yeah. How often have you read, God will fulfill his purpose for me? Me, me, me. But have no comprehension of what God wants to accomplish in the rest of mankind, especially in the nation of Israel. There can only be one solution. And it's not picking and choosing. Well, I'll use the left hand for this situation and the right hand for that situation. If what you heard was a binary choice, then you're just not that smart and need to pray for wisdom. We are to watch over his word and guard the covenant. Amen. His word has a purpose and an intention that he wants to fulfill in your life. We have to hold his word and his will in both hands. 2 Corinthians 6, 7 helps to explain this. In truthful speech and in the power of God. Amen. Do you mean to tell me you can have truthful speech that does not carry the power of God? Yes. With weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left. Look, all too often, we have priests that are nearsighted. Believing that, I'm just, I'm just doing what's written. Yeah, but you're missing the point of what God wants to accomplish. It's like a child. Well, you told me to stay in my room. Not while your brother was dying right outside the room. Yeah. That's called malicious obedience. The word is not meant to do anything other than create life. Of course, on the other side of things, we often have priests that claim that they're farsighted. Like, brother, I can see God's will. So that they possess the liberty to ignore what is written. Wow. Well, those brothers eliminate themselves from ever being able to accomplish God's will at all that they claim to be advocating for. Yeah. Moses' statement in the Bible in Deuteronomy 33, I know, I know you read it as a blessing. It's, it's also a prophecy. You, you need to understand that these tenses in Hebrew, they, they're what is, but they're also more what will be. When Jacob prophesies over his sons, blesses his sons, most of the stuff he says about them hasn't come to pass yet. Right. At this point in the book of Deuteronomy, many of the things that he's describing to Levi are not actually really demonstrable in Levi's life. In other words, our God is speaking about what we are to become. Amen. Amen. Levi is the aim of the priesthood. In fact, the things said to Levi are the mark of a priest. Let's all turn back to Deuteronomy 33, verse 8. We're going to connect some points in Moses' statement here. Deuteronomy 33, 8. About Levi, he said, Your Thummim and Urim, 
belong to the man you favored. This is speaking to the fact that Levi operated in the word and in the spirit. The verse continues, you tested him at Massa. You contended with him at the waters of Meribah. This is declaring Levi's discernment that stood the tension of testing. Verse 9, he said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children. Levi had only one standard applied without favoritism or partiality. The verse continues, but he watched over your word. The sword of God's word pierced Levi's own heart first and guarded your covenant. Levi understood the promises of God and how to accomplish God's will on earth. See, as we read verse 10 together, you've got to see what this mature manhood that is both the making and the mark of the priest goes on to do. Look at verse 10. He teaches your precept to Jacob and your law to Israel. He offers incense before you and whole burnt offerings on the altar. The truth is, is this is next week's sermon. And we've got plenty of priestly work to do right here in this house this morning. Amen. See, in closing, let's talk about watching over his word. Right here for you, for me, in this house and in your lives. Church, when you read the word... If your first thought is about someone else's application rather than your own, then let's just go ahead and state it plainly. You have a problem watching over God's word. If you expect more from your wife, more from your children, more from your neighbors, more from the brothers in this room than you are personally demonstrating in your own actions. You have a serious problem watching over God's word. If you love to dive into the depths of eschatology, but fail on the most fundamental application in your very own life, you have a problem watching over God's word. Those of you in the room that believe that, hey, I'm getting the watching over the word part right. Well, how about guarding his covenant? You may know well that the word says about the shalom order for you to relate with your spouse. But are you guarding the very intention of your marriage covenant in the first place that you would become one? Are you just clinging to the word says, the word says, the word says, yes, Mr. Myopia. And you're supposed to be becoming one with your spouse. You may well know that the word says, but as many are led by the spirit are sons of God. But do your actions display any comprehension of what God wants to accomplish through you in conjunction with the other sons of God, the other men and women next to you. You may well believe what is written in Psalm 138. God will fulfill his purpose for me. But are your faith-inspired actions 
aimed at what God wants to accomplish in the rest of mankind, especially for his people Israel? Or are you really just hiding selfish ambition and calling it something else? Church today, this is our opportunity to grab hold of this altar with two hands so that we can stand up into mature manhood, being made into priests and bearing the mark of a priest. It is time for us to respond to what God is saying here in this place. Stand with us and respond as God is calling to us. Mighty God, Lord, we are crying out to you today that we may bear the mark of a priest, the marks of a priest, Lord, that we can watch over your word. Lord, that we can rightly have your word circumcise our hearts. Lord, through personal application, through personal, Lord, uh, diligence in achieving your word. Lord, but may we also guard your covenant. Lord, that we can stand and learn what your will is and fight to see that accomplished in our lives. But even more importantly, Lord, that your will may be accomplished on this earth. Lord, move upon our hearts today in Jesus' name.